Look at these ruffians from the city playing their street ball. Basketball is a game about passing and not double dribbling. <laughs> Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. They were the tallest fraternity in Texas. For three years, the University of Houston popularized collegiate basketball in the Lone Star State, revolutionizing the sport. Today, we take a look at Phi Slamma Jamma. But first... What's your favorite Texas cattle trail? I'm going to have to pick the Chisholm Trail, um, largely because I like the way the word sounds. Chisholm. <laughs> Chisholm. Chisholm. Chisholm, Chisholm, Chisholm. Well, in terms Chisholm. of good names, I mean, I'm going to say good night loving. I mean, good night, and I love you to all of the <laughs> listeners of the podcast. Yeah, I love the story behind the good night loving trail. Yeah. It's a good episode. <laughs> It's the only trail that goes west to start with before going north. My pick is going to be the Shawnee Trail, which is one of the earliest trails, and it went through the Indian Territory, and it was abandoned because it was too dangerous going through the lawless lands of Indian Territory. Ooh, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. We all know that Texas is a football state, from the Friday night lights of the high school gridiron to high-stakes college rivalries. To the legendary professional dynasties of the Cowboys, the Oilers, and the Texans, the Lone Star State is playing football crazy. However, in the first years of the 1980s, the men's basketball program at the University of Houston captured the imagination of not just the state, but the whole nation. The team's furious pace and dominant offense brought basketball to an entirely new level of popularity and ushered in a new era of the sport. Then, just as soon as it started... It was over. And this is their remarkable story. The University of Houston began with humble beginnings, being founded in the 1920s as a junior college before attaining full university status in the 1930s. Men's athletics began in the late 40s, and the university had a small but successful football and basketball programs. The Houston Cougars football program had its successes under various coaches, but in basketball, there's really only one man whose name is associated with the University of Houston. That man was Guy V. Lewis. Lewis was a native of Arp, Texas, and he was a Houston alumni. He served as assistant coach from 1953 to 1955. In 1955, he became the head coach, and over the next decade, he steadily built a solid program. In 1964, Lewis made history by being the first major Texas university to recruit black players, two young men from Houston, Don Chaney and future Hall of Famer Elvin Hayes. The Cougars immediately became a success, making it to the Sweet 16 round of the NCAA tournament in 1965 and 1966, and to the Final Four in 1967 and 68. In 1968, Houston played UCLA in what was called the, quote, Game of the Century, before 52,000 fans at the Astrodome. In what was the first nationally televised regular season game in college basketball history, the Cougars upset the Bruins, who were coached by John Wooden, the winningest coach in college basketball history, and who were led by Lou Alcindor, a seven-foot-tall phenom who later became NBA Hall of Famer Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. A rematch in the semifinals of the Final Four resulted in a loss for the Cougars, and both Hayes and Cheney graduated and had tremendous success in the NBA. The 70s saw modest success for Lewis's Cougars. 
Lewis preferred to recruit local boys from the inner-city schools in Houston and evolved a fast-paced style centered on the quickness and speed of the players he liked. The Cougars would do well in conference play, but rarely made it far in the NCAA tournament, often falling to more fundamentally sound East Coast programs. Critics maligned Lewis's style, often saying that his players were only good at, quote, street ball and couldn't beat more traditional teams. Lewis encouraged a frenetic playground-influenced style that was in opposition to the fundamentally polished and methodical style espoused by basketball traditionalists, especially when it came to the dunk, which was becoming increasingly popular as the 70s rolled on. Guy Lewis not only condoned dunking, he insisted on it, dunks being what he called high-percentage shots. What Lewis was doing was building a style that would work for more than just the perfect player like Elvin Hayes had been. He wanted to build a style that could work for an entire team. And in 1980, he found that team. In 1979, flamboyant guard Rob Williams, who was from Houston's Milby High School, was recruited by Lewis. And though the team went 14-14 and 14 for the season, he and Houston Worthing High's Larry Michaud proved to be the foundation for a new team that was being built from the ground up. In the 1980s season, Sterling High School forward Clyde Drexler joined the team, along with Yates High School guard Michael Young, and the team posted a 21-9 record. They were beaten in the first round of the NCAA tournament, though. Because of this, though, people did start to take notice of the Houston Cougars basketball team. 1981 was the breakout year, though. That was when two players arrived who made all of the pieces click together. The first was a poor kid from rural Louisiana named Benny Anders. Anders had been recruited by Louisiana State University, but wearing a t-shirt with the word outlaw printed on it killed his chances with the conservative LSU coach. Guy Lewis needed an off-the-bench role player who could be counted on to make big plays, and Anders was just that man. The other player came from an unlikely place and arrived in Houston in a most unlikely way. One of Lewis's friends had seen a young man named Hakeem Olajuwon playing basketball in Lagos, Nigeria, and recommended then Guy have a look at him. Lewis sent the young man an invitation to visit Houston. Olajuwon also received an invitation from two Northeastern schools, and he flew to New York City to meet the first school who'd invited him. The representative from that school was supposed to meet him at the airport, but didn't show up. Olajuwon said he walked out of the airport into freezing temperatures and was shocked at how cold it was. He encountered a worker at the airport who was also Nigerian and asked him which of the other schools he was set to visit was more like his home climate, and was told that Houston would most resemble Lagos. So Olajuwon took the next flight to Houston. And so, in one of the few great things that it's ever done, Houston's climate netted a seven-foot future Hall of Fame center. Hashtag mosquitoes! (laughs) Well, the 1981 season saw this team catch fire. The fast-breaking, power-dunking action thrilled the fans, and it made for great television. The media, for a change, loved them, hailing the team for bringing back excitement to college basketball. Despite placing second in the Southwest Conference, the team dominated in the NCAA tournament, advancing all the way to the Final Four, beating Alcorn State, Tulsa, Missouri, and Boston College. Before they lost a very close game to the eventual winner of the tournament, the University of North Carolina, which featured another phenomenal freshman who happened to go by the name Michael Jordan. Never heard of him. (laughs) despite their loss the team came out of the tournament stronger than it went in they nearly beat the eventual winner of the tournament and when they returned in the fall most of the team was still there with only rob williams leaving to play for the nba 
When the Cougars returned, the excitement and anticipation among its rising number of fans and the Houston press, seeing a potential dynasty among the young group of players, coined a nickname for them, Phi Slamma Jamma, the, quote, tallest fraternity in Texas. The 1982-1983 season did not disappoint. As the season went by, the team posted a 31-6 record with a 26-game winning streak, the best in the school's history. The team dominated the Southwest Conference, not losing a single game against their fellow Southwest Conference schools. In 1982, it was a rough year for sports in Texas. The NFL season ended with a player's strike, killing promising seasons by both the Cowboys and the Oilers. The Rangers and the Astros were in rebuilding years at the time, and the Mavericks were just getting started. And the Houston Rockets had the worst season ever. College sports, especially outsider teams like the SMU Mustangs and the Houston Cougars, really captured the imagination of Texas. Every single home game at Hoffheinz Pavilion was a sellout, and merchandise flew off the shelves all over the state. The team members were eventually given flashy nicknames to go with their group name. Larry, Mr. Mean Michaud, Michael, Silent Assassin Young, Benny the Bomber Anders, Clyde the Glide Drexler, and Hakeem the Dream Olajuwon were the epitome of what the public wanted a basketball team to be. It was a foregone conclusion to everyone that this was the year they'd bring home an NCAA championship. Houston went into the NCAA tournament in 1983 as a number one seed, beating Maryland, Memphis State, and Villanova. And they completely dominated Louisville, which was then considered the best traditional team in basketball in the semifinals of the Final Four. The stage was set for a final match against six-seed North Carolina State, which is a, it's a very low seed. In one of the most famous games in college basketball history, the underdog NC State kept up with the Cougars and then scored one of the great upsets in sports history with a last-second dunk. Despite that heartbreaking loss, things still looked up for five slamma jamma. Drexler and Michaud chose to enter the NBA, but Hakeem, Anders, and most of the other players were coming back. Freshman Greg Cadillac Anderson joined the team and quickly became a key player. While the team was great, there was tension in the ranks. Benny Anders clashed with his teammates and with Coach Lewis, even quitting the team for a few weeks. He rode the bench for a while, but did manage to make his way back to the regular rotation. Houston was again a number one seed going into the NCAA tournament, and they took down Louisiana Tech, Memphis State, and Wake Forest on their way to the Final Four. The semifinal game against Virginia was a nail-biter, but Houston managed a two-point victory to go into the finals against the Patrick Ewing-led Georgetown Hoyas. Unfortunately, this Georgetown team was one of the greatest in all of college basketball history, and the Cougars were beaten badly. 1984 was the end of the Phi Slamma Jamma era. Olajuwon and Young chose to enter the NBA draft. Olajuwon was number one draft pick, and fortunately for Houston, the Rockets, the very worst team in the NBA at the time, selected him as their pick. So he didn't have to move anywhere. In 1986, the Rockets lost the NBA Finals, but after ups and downs in the late 80s, he led the Rockets to -to back-to-back NBA titles in 1994 and 95. He was joined in 95 by fellow Phi Slamma Jamma alum and NBA Hall of Famer Clyde Drexler. Young, Michaud, and Cadillac Anderson also all had successful NBA careers. The 1984 season was a disappointment, though, for the Cougars. Anders, who'd grown increasingly erratic, hurt his knee in the offseason and eventually was expelled from the university for threatening a teammate with a firearm. The team finished 16-14 and 14 for the season and lost in the first round of the NIT tournament, a lesser tournament. Guy Lewis coached for one more year before he retired. He coached 27 consecutive winning seasons, and he made five Final Four appearances. 
And since his retirement, University of Houston has not made a single appearance in the NCAA tournament. So what is the legacy of just three years of fame and success for the Houston Cougars basketball team? Phi Slamet Jamma is widely credited with popularizing the athletic, quote, above-the-rim style of play of today's college basketball. This style appealed to a broad audience and helped to bring many casual fans to the sport. Elijah Wan was one of the first successful international recruits and helped open up a worldwide explosion in the popularity of basketball in the 1990s. It was also encouraging to college basketball recruiters to fan out across the globe looking for the next undiscovered superstar. The successful careers of Elijah Wan and Drexler, especially their 1995 NBA championship together in their home city, always evoked fond memories of Phi Slamma Jamma. More than that, though, was that most of the young men who were part of the Phi Slamma Jamma were local kids from the streets of Houston, and the people they inspired were their own friends, family, and neighbors. They showed just what quick, talented, determined kids from Texas could do if they put their minds to it. Phi Slamma Jamma. Phi Slamma Jamma. This brings back yeah. a, lot of, a lot of interesting memories of, like... Uh, college basketball more specifically you know i think about the that 90s rockets team was really mm-hmm. right in our yeah. radar i think i think that was really to me the legacy of the five slam pajama in, in a lot of ways was that 95 team when you had drexler and lajuan in there wearing the same colors that they'd worn in college playing pretty much just down the street from where they played in college um and just being awesome, and and that was what, you could not you could not watch any of those championship games and not hear reference to Fly Slamma Jamma, and I remember you know it brings this brings back memories back to even to the early eighties of to the to that 80, 82 game against North Carolina State. I remember watching that game and that and that that end dunk, which was a fake dunk. It was a, a, that end dunk, which was actually a, a throwaway shot that that one of the 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 North Carolina State players picked off and slammed, um, and then the coach uh, coach Vaviano coming out onto the floor looking for someone to celebrate with. That's that's like played every year when they do the Final Four, mm-hmm. and for, so unfortunately it's a losing moment for Houston. <laughs> but but still to go to the Final Four three consecutive years and to go to the championship game two years in a row and lose. And I remember that Georgetown team, that game against Georgetown, where they were, they were such a great team. Uh, and then the previous year, beating North, you know, beating or losing to North Carolina and Michael Jordan as a freshman. Like to me, like these guys in the Five Slam Jamma were were core parts of what is to me the greatest period of talent for the NBA, which was the late '80s, the mid to late '80s, uh, with. With the, the dream teams, you know, where you had the great players of the 70s still there, plus you had this new generation, Drexler and Olajuwon and Jordan and Patrick Ewing, all these players. So, and Houston was right in the middle of that. They were such a powerful team during that period. Yeah. Well, I, I, I will. I was going to say, I will say that uh, the whole five slamma jamma fever thing was really big, and you could tell it was really big because i had absolutely at that time in my life had absolutely no awareness or interest in college basketball at all but even i had heard uh yeah. talk and discussion of by slamma jamma and uh had seen hakeem olajuwon especially plastered all over the news everywhere yeah well i was you guys lived in the area 
I mean, Scott, you obviously grew up in the area, and Mike, were you living in the area at that time? We moved to Houston in 89. So I kind of got there at the tail end of of Fice Lambda Jamma. But I did see, of course, Olajuwon and all of that. Um, I'm originally, for those listening, you probably heard me talk about being for San Antonio. So Spurs. But anyway, um, (laughs) well, it was interesting. The first part of this, when it talked about uh, the coach, I mean, what an incredible coach. Let's let's just take it back to him. I mean, really, that's who we're we're highlighting Mm -hmm. is this coach who built this program. But, um, you know, you're watching it and you're just like, in 64, he was the first major Texas university to recruit black players, except that they made that movie Glory Road. <laughs> right, and that was a, but that was a small, that it's was a, a small school. Yeah, you're talking about the Texas Western College. They were the Texas Miners, Western College. Right, which, they which, were, they were, a, yeah, they were a small college. Yeah, so. and now it's part of the UT system. But the thing about that, that this, they made this big movie, and it was this wonderful sports story elevating it. But it's like. Uh, that's a great story, but this is a really great story. Like these, right. this this story would make a, a a really fascinating movie. I would love to see mm-hmm. this movie, Hollywood. Let's yeah. get on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I so there's a first of all, this was inspired by a thirty for thirty episode that came out early in the spring. I finally got around to watching it um, about Faisal Majem, and it was really more about the story of Benny Anders because Benny Anders disappeared basically. Uh, from everyone's life, and he sort of he went off into the you know went off and played minor league basketball in the Philippines, and then joined the Navy, and so he dropped off the face of the earth basically. And so, but like everybody remembers Benny Anders, and that was the the crux of this episode. But I remember the first incarnation of Elvin Hayes and Don Chaney, and watching that game of the century on videotape uh, in high school. My coach, basketball coach, loved the Houston. Cougars and we would watch we watched that game and watching them play in the Astrodome if you've ever watched that video go watch it I think it's on YouTube but go watch that parts of that game it is a basketball court in the middle of the field in the (laughs) Astrodome yeah (laughs) and it was 52,000 people crammed in there but there's like the whole space of like the court is there and there's like this empty space between where the seats start and yeah. the, so it looks like an empty <laughs> arena, but there's fifty thousand people there. So the Astrodome, not such a great basketball arena. No, no, but that was a that was a great moment in television and basketball. But then we also watched the Fi Slamma Jamma, the eighties, the eighties team. We watched video of that, like because our coach really liked that style of play. We would watch that in high school. Um, that's a really cool story, Sean. Um, but I think that, like, there's this thing about Houston teams that seem to be dwarfed by personalities. Like, it's interesting mm-hmm. that in 1968, they ran up against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They would have won, <laughs> but for one of the greatest... No, no, they won. They beat him. Oh, no, that's right. They, they, that's right. they did beat him. But Sorry. they lost in the finals. They lost so in the right. finals. But it's just like, here's, here's this guy. And then later, they ran up against two, Michael Jordan. And, and then it, later, Patrick Ewing. <laughs> and later, Patrick Ewing. But here's the thing about that that 90s playoff team of the Rockets was interesting because that's when um, I remember being in Houston at the time and uh, or just having moved to Dallas, but it was all Clutch City. That was the signs that were everywhere for that, for that playoff run. Um, Michael Jordan had retired. So when they won, people were like, well, psh, anybody could win. I mean, Michael Jordan's not playing anymore. And and then they won the next year back to back, and it was like you know it was like they were they back they were in it back to back the next year. It was just like come on guys, like 
you got to give the like there were you look at the roster of those players especially the guys that came from fly slammer jam just incredible athletes just i mean amazing basketball players and like let's give some credit to the fact that this guy you know it it totally feels like a movie because it's like look at these ruffians from the city playing their street ball basketball is a game about passing and not double dribbling wearing (laughs) you know i could see gene hackman on the sidelines or something you know it feels a bit like hoosiers it's like yeah well i guess i guess in a lot of ways and and maybe it's we've already touched on it but it's it it seemed to push you know like you said push college basketball into a, a higher awareness and made it as popular if not more popular than the the professional level sport in that time period well and here's the interesting thing is that even going into both the 94 and 95 championships this is not necessarily an episode about the rockets but i think five slam Jamma plays a part in that 94 95 team just because of the presence of olajuwon and of of and of drexler in 94 the final was against the new york knicks who were led by Patrick Ewing. So Olajuwon won his first NBA championship against Patrick Ewing, the person who had cost him his last chance at an NCAA championship. And then in 95, they were the underdogs because the Orlando Magic, led by uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway, were definitely considered the odds-on favorite to come in and win that. And in a lot of ways, I mean, they actually Houston swept that series. They they completely swept them, and Olajuwon dominated O'Neal in a way that no one had been able to before. So, I think the, the lessons learned in the, their college years really stood them in good stead when they went into the as a, as professional players. Faithful listener, you have some basketball homework to do on YouTube. Go see why the Astrodome's not a good basketball arena. It is a hilarious picture. <laughs> it is a hilarious picture that I'm sure will go up on the notes page. And then go watch go watch some of those five slime jamma games. Watch some of the dunks. There, there's a there's one game I did want to call out. I can't remember which one it was, but it was a playoff. It was an NCAA tournament game, and I think it was against Louisville. And like the Louisville actually actually kind of started to run up the score on them. Uh, and there was a fast break coming back down. And Coach Guy V, he was known for carrying a towel. And and like just wringing this towel throughout the game, he threw his towel at the opposing player to draw a foul and stop their momentum. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. He almost got thrown out of the game. But to do that, like to be so invested in your team and in winning, that, that's pretty amazing. That is amazing. So here's to you, Houston fans. Go Cougars. Go, Go Cougars. Bye, Slamma Jamma. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Shaw with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You know you love this show. You know you love basketball. So get out there, subscribe to the show, tell your friends, and leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you want to support this show financially, 
and we know you do, head on over to patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can sign up to be a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.